0: some time ago that you can't build a prevailing church if it is a church that does not contend or engage uh, in battle through prayer. We said that if you want to build a prevailing church and it's the only kind of church that Jesus was interested in building then you have to have a church that engages or contends uh, in battle and the way we battle is through prayer and so that's why we started looking at prevailing prayer. Today I want to talk about this idea of ha- uh, prevailing prayer that requires us to know what God is hatching in his realm. I mean, the, the, there are these two words that uh, are often used in the Bible for time. One is Kairos, one is Chronos. Chronos is the time that we live in, the seasons we live in, our calendar, uh, at our deadlines. And then there is this idea of Kairos where in the fullness of time, God hatches things that he conceived before the foundations of the earth and he releases into the earth. And if you want to be a church that prevails, as in that contends and overcomes, that contends and wins, that contends and moves forward, then we have to be able, in prayer, to figure out what God is doing at present, not what's happening on earth at present. So it's prayers that take on an urgency and breaks forth Because you know, oh shucks father, so that's what you want to release tomorrow in Vancouver. All right. so let's get ready and this is how we are going to pray. Because this is when, like Elijah, when there is absolutely no cloud in the sky, you are so sure that tomorrow it's going to rain. To the point that you make ridiculous statements like, I hear the sound of rain. It is seeing something that is absolutely invisible, hearing something that is inaudible, yet you are so sure because somehow you've caught a glimpse of, ah, so that's what you're up uh, to, Jesus. So, all right, I'm going to now pray a certain way here on earth because it's almost like you want this baby to be born here on earth and nobody else knows about this. We haven't really prayed these kind of prayers and so um, don't worry if we don't understand all of it we'll get what we can right now and then get what we need to later but at least let it go down as being taught so that we can look at it and keep examining examining it so if you want to define kairos kairos is uh, basically you hear this word, uh, word often said in the bible in the fullness of time in the fullness of time As in, even though we live in 2018, before there was time, God had decided that at certain junctures in history, he would break in or interrupt or intervene and cause something very different, very strange, very not with the times to happen. And so in the fullness of time, God keeps releasing things. These are things that God has designed in heaven before the beginning. And it finds its fluid movement onto the earth And it usually happens because of immediate obedience on the part of someone here on earth. So you got this 16 or 17 year old girl called Mary who says, how can this be? And she just obeys a simple statement that the angel makes saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That was enough for her. Or a Noah who starts building an ark even though he hasn't seen rain. In the fullness of time... God has designed things in heaven that he allows to move fluidly onto the earth. And it's almost always released because of the immediate obedience of some of his children here on earth. Which then means that prevailing prayer through a church is impossible if the church does not understand the concept of immediate obedience without counting the cost. Or counting the cost and obeying immediately. There's absolutely no hesitation. I mean, you see Elijah, he's been hidden for three years, and Obadiah, one of the uh, servants of Ahab the king, is going around looking for water. And Elijah decides, hmm, God just said he's going to cause the rain to come. So what does Elijah do? He makes a sudden appearance before Obadiah and says, here I am, take me to your king. He knows that Ahab is looking for him. He knows that Ahab wants his head. He knows that Ahab calls him the troubler of Israel. He knows that Ahab has put to death... Seventy others. And yet, because he knows that there is no other choice but to immediately obey, he turns up and says, take me to your king. And within a day, within a day, the rains come. So for Kairos, for, for, for prayer that God wants to use through this church to make things happen in this city, in this nation, in other cities, in other nations, in situations, in encounters, in lives, in peoples, There must be this immediate obedience response from the people. Otherwise it will happen through an individual. What's the point of it happening through an individual when God wants it to happen through a people? Otherwise we'll need Elijah's, we'll need Elishas, we'll need Joshua's, we'll need Moses's. What about the one new man called the church? So God operates out of this realm continuously in 2 Corinthians 6:2. Again, he uses the word kairos when he says, "In the favorable kairos I heard you," meaning there are times when he hears prayers and he says, "Now is the time. Now is the time of favor, and I'm going to release this." It doesn't matter what the economy says, it doesn't matter what Trump says or Trudeau says. Here is what I had planned long before. Jacob Acts 29, are you willing to obey? And I want immediate obedience. And if you are willing to immediately obey, I'll unleash it through you so that you get to partake in this adventure. You think there weren't others that could have gone on Mount Carmel and done what Elijah did? But Elijah obeyed immediately. Immediately. At divinely determined moments, His realm intersects measurable time, and as soon as it intersects measurable time, it releases things on earth. In Titus chapter 1 verse uh, 3, Titus puts it this way, At the appointed season, at the appointed season, at the appointed season. Sometimes I'm fascinated at how certain things happen during worship or even during a teaching at Acts 29, where I know God is suddenly introducing something into the church that I won't even have in my notes, but I know it's a Holy Spirit moment. And inside me, I recognize it, and I'm craving that you recognize it too. Because if you do, it is this moment where God intersects even a simple teaching like at Acts 29. Keep your ears and your spirit alert because you can miss it. And if you get it, that it ain't enough to get it, you have to respond to it with immediate obedience, which doesn't mean that you get up and leave right now, but you get up and leave after an hour and a half. (laughs) That's one reason I don't like coming late to church or leaving early because you might miss out on stuff, eh? If that was meant for you, wear it. In Kronos, we try controlling time. In Kairos, time breaks upon us. In Kronos, as in in regular life, we try controlling time. I've got to get to the church in time. Ah, shucks, that light had to turn red. Smile at it, smile at it, it might turn green. And so you try to make it in time. That's Kronos. But Kairos, time breaks upon you. Where God says, now is the time and it breaks upon you. And if you obey immediately and are at the right place at the right time, strange things begin to happen. Guys, I'll tell you something. Most things that are designed by God have to be obeyed in perfect time if you want the design to hold. It's It's like holding a snowflake. Only God can create a snowflake and if you can hold it in perfect time, it stays the way it is. It does not melt. It stays the way it is. But the one thing required for God to do things is, Jacob, will you obey immediately and will you obey in the right time? This is critically. And so many times what happens with us is we postpone it either because all the conditions are not right or we postpone it because um, it might cost too much. All the suddenlies in the Bible are born out of the work of God in Kairos where everything is going on well and suddenly there will be a token sized, a fist sized cloud in the sky. Suddenly. Suddenly are His favorite way of turning up in time, intervening, breaking through. And so like I'm saying, timing is perhaps the hardest thing to get right. And timing is learned through one, hearing with clarity. It's You learn the timing of God by one, hearing with clarity. Two, you cannot help it. You have to get more experienced at it so that you become so used to it that experience now helps you just do things without thinking sometimes or just out of obedience, not without thinking, without understanding. Third, you have to have immediate obedience And four, you have to trust step-by-step navigation. What I mean by that is, guys, if you want things from God's perspective to break into your life, or if you want things from God's perspective to break through your life, you have to hear with clarity. It takes experience, but experience begins when you start somewhere, and tomorrow you'll be more experienced. It requires immediate obedience, and lastly, you won't get all the steps, so you'll have to keep obeying. It's step-by-step navigation. Turn right, turn left, stop here, sit here for two days, now go, To Bethany, all right, now speak to Martha and Mary. Just say, I am the resurrection and the life. About time you went to the stinking graveyard, all right, there's a stone there. Roll it away. Now begin to speak and just say, Lazarus, come out, and out comes Lazarus. Timing is critical. Any questions before we go on? Yeah, which is why hearing with clarity is critical hearing with clarity and then immediate obedience like the sons of Issachar you have to know the times and seasons applies to everything guys we don't realize how many things God are involved in are you moving house try to see what the perfect time is are you changing jobs? Try to see the perfect time of God. Are you going to a nation? Try to figure out the perfect time of God. Are you going to meet someone and speak to them? Try to find the perfect time. Are you supposed to stand at Main and 49th and expect an encounter with somebody because God has arranged it? Try to see how to... Turn up at the right time. Have you planned your plans and now you feel God asking you to change it? Change it. Will it cost you to cancel? Absolutely. But what will happen in the process? You will be where God wants you to be exactly at the right time. Exactly at the right time. God is so into timing thing, it's ridiculous. I mean, you have to have a king waking up in the middle of the night because he can't sleep. Now you have to have him call his librarian and now you have to have that librarian open a book. And now you have to have that book open to a page that talks about a conspiracy that was foiled. And now you've got to figure out if the man who foiled the conspiracy, which is Mordecai, is still alive. And then you have to find out, aha, he is. And then he's sitting at the gate. You also have to have Haman hey walk in at that time and look at Mordecai and despise him. And he walks into the chambers and the king says to him, what would you do for the guy who foiled a conspiracy? And Haman thinks it's him and he says, I would put him on your royal horse, I would dress him in royal robes, I would have the most important person in the kingdom lead the horse saying, long live the king and long live Mordecai. And the king says, great Haman, go do that to Mordecai. I mean, think of the things that have to line up for this to happen. Guys, the thing with these kind of prayers is that you achieve in two days what would take someone seven years. Astrologers and astronomers talk about the stars aligning. This is a different kind of alignment, man. Where the sun aligns everything. As in SON. Just in case you were going cultish. God designs hold their shape when the timing of obedience is perfect. God designs, as in things that God designs, it it, it stays intact. It holds its shape. It is perfect if I obey and if my obedience is immediate. Questions, comments, disagreements? You never know till you know by doing what you need to do. And then the next time, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to praise the Lord amongst a happy crowd. Why are you so sad, my soul? Psalm 42, what David is trying to say is, hey, now that I'm in the situation, I look back and I think to myself, aha, this is how it used to be. So... The, this is critical, but how do we gain... Experience? I mean, it's like the uh, typical thing immigrants to Canada face. D- do you have Canadian qualification? No. Well, then you can't have a job. But if you don't give me a job, how will I have Canadian qualification? I don't know. It's cash 22. But once you start getting this, things begin to change. And life becomes so easy because you're in the time of God. I, 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 and the other thing is, guys, it applies to small things and big things. Small things and big things. Do not discard anything as small. The things that are small are so important to God because you are important to God. The smallness of things is important to God because you are important to God. When your child, take your child as an example. Your child has some whims and fancies that are so ridiculous that I think to myself, why aren't you getting irritated and telling the ch- locking the child up in, um, no, we don't do stuff like that. <laughs> But the point is this. You are interested in your child because in the small things your child does because you're interested in your child. Same thing with God. And therefore, even in the small things, get the time right. And that then allows this to happen where everything becomes a question of hearing. And if you made plans, change them. Change them. I would rather change my plans and lose some money and some friends than miss out on what God wants to do. (laughs) Absolutely. When you make a mistake, sometimes it costs you little, sometimes it doesn't. But there's just no way to learn this without making mistakes. Just no way. I would suggest to you, and hold this loosely, don't hold it too tightly, because I could be wrong. Uh, I would suggest to you that as Jesus was growing up, Jesus had to learn from his parents. He required his parents' help to learn things. It was not mistake-free walking, mistake-free anything. He didn't one day just start speaking perfect Aramaic. He had to learn God's ways. They didn't come automatically. Just imagine that. He had to learn it. Hebrews chapter 5 talks about it. That he learned obedience. So I don't think you can do this without mistakes. Which is why then, if you have um, people around you who can help you avoid mistakes, so be it. Isolation is perfect for deep, deep mistakes because you keep digging the hole deeper. Okay, any other questions, thoughts, comments? So I would suggest to you that some of the things that you're doing that you're unsure of, go examine them, go examine them. Father, am I out of time here? As in not have I run out of time? Am I out of your sense of timing? What am I supposed to change? What should I shift? We are creatures of habit. We do the same thing again and again and again because it worked last time. I mean, remember one thing, guys. We live by the proceeding word, not by the preceding word. Moses struck the rock only because he thought, I've done this before. The water gushed out. Yes, he said, speak, but I'm irritated enough. Let's just strike it. And he lost the ability to enter the promised land. That's too high a cost to pay. For living by what is a formula. Examine. Am I supposed to go away for three months every year on an RV trip? Am I supposed to go to Myanmar just because the pastor says, come in September? Am I supposed to do the same leadership thing in Mongolia just because Joshua says, come and do it? Ask. Otherwise what happens is we strive and strive and strive and then we can't understand why the tomatoes are so small. When my neighbor's tomatoes look like pumpkins. <laughs> hey, when do, when do pigeons begin to fly? Because the eggs that uh, were... I mean, two weeks ago there were eggs in my flower pot that my mom left and the flowers are gone now. There were eggs in the flower pot. I looked at this it, this afternoon after coming back from the trip and there are two little birds but they don't look like they can do anything. No, that wasn't my reaction. My reaction was, you're dirtying up my balcony. Maybe I should take you and throw you off the balcony, and then you learn how... No, 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 I've heard birds can fly when you throw them in the air. <laughs> no? Okay, I won't do that. <laughs> just checking, I just needed your advice. I mean... <laughs> oh, timing. Now you get it. <laughs> it, is, it is just a test. Alrighty, they can do what they want. Uh, Mark, do you have one of these um, thingies that can... What do you call those things? Okay. <laughs> Alright. The next thing, guys, is if you when we begin to engage in prevailing prayer, um, it gives us a distinct advantage over the enemy, over the devil. Such an advantage when it comes to this kind of prayer, which sees what God wants to do uh, and God is waiting for it to break through into the earth, um, through you if you're obedient, then it gives you a distinct advantage over the enemy because, um, I mean, take Elijah's story again. He sends uh, word that 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table come and gather at Mount Carmel. Why? Because... Satan is bound in measurable time, and he's confounded when God's time intersects the things he's doing. He cannot do anything to stop it, so he rages after it's conceived. So, for example, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. There was nothing the devil could do about it. There had been 400 years of silence. Up comes a man called John the Baptist, who's beginning to talk about a Messiah. The enemy cannot understand this, and then in the fullness of time... Into history intervenes the birth of this child in Bethlehem. And there's nothing the enemy can do about it because he's confounded when times, he's finite, he's confounded when God's time breaks into things. The only thing he can do after that is rage and he begins to rage. Weeping was heard in Ramah as Herod sent soldiers to slaughter children. It was the same with Moses. There was a need for a deliverer and suddenly a boy is born who was drawn out of the water. He's put in a basket and sent down the Nile. There was nothing the enemy could do. And then suddenly there's a slaughter of babies. The thing with Praying this way is you suddenly know when you go into a country, when you go into a situation, when you go into a nation that, aha, this is what God wants to do. Thousands and thousands of years of history is going to be turned around. It's going to be turned around just because one or two people decided that there will be immediate obedience to what God is going to say and do and they'll stand and declare it without any shame. At the cost of being mocked, they'll still do it. You see it in the book of Revelations where, are there, where, where there are these two witnesses who do exactly that. Things are going really bad and then these two witnesses rise up and they begin to speak. They are like Elijah and Moses of yesteryears and they begin to do what they need to do. And suddenly all the destruction that is happening is arrested. They supposedly die and they come back to life. I plead with you, try imagining this. The reason I say I plead with you is not because you're not listening, but because sometimes these things seem so it's for somebody else, some other church, some other pastor, not for me, that we won't examine this further, and yet it can change life. We're all Joshua's, guys, waiting to see Moses come down from the mountain, standing at the opening of the tent, looking and saying, when will my turn come? That should be your cry. When will my turn come? When will my turn come? That should be your cry. When will Hebrews 11, 33 to 35 happen through me? That should be your cry. If it isn't your cry, if it isn't my cry, then I must question, why is it that my spirit is so dull? God has his ability to hide things that are, he's hatching for a time such as this. Hide. He hides it. He knows how to hide things, eh? And then at the right... I mean, one of the coolest stories... Uh, coolest, uh, some of the coolest battle verses that I've read are so simple. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 18 to 25-ish. Here's what it says. It says, and so uh, the angel of the Lord went from ahead of Israel to behind Israel. And he camped himself between the Egyptians that were chasing Israel, and Israel was now at the Red Sea, and so the angel of the Lord goes and stands behind Israel, between Egypt and Israel. And he became light to the Israelites, and darkness and confusion and dullness to the Egyptians. And the angel of the Lord just stood there while all of Israel crossed the Red Sea. Meanwhile, the Egyptians are on this side of the angel of the Lord who appears in a pillar of fire and they can't do nothing. He is fire, but that fire is light to the Israelites and darkness and dullness and confusion to the Egyptians. And once the Israelites cross, then the pillar of fire moves. But now the Egyptians decide they're going to chase them into the Red Sea. And then there is this really beautiful line. It says, God decided that he would dismantle the wheels of the chariots. So he just goes, I don't know what he did, but suddenly all these wheels of every Egyptian chariot starts going wonky. The Israelites crossed on dry land and now their wheels are off. And then the waters come and cover the Egyptians. God hides things so brilliantly. But here is a beautiful scripture, I don't know where it is, perhaps in Proverbs, it says, it is the glory of kings to hide a thing. It is the glory of, the glory of God to hide things. It is the glory of kings to discover it. God conceals so that we can discover. God conceals so that we can discover. Sometimes our time should not be spent in praying, but in discovering. Discovery is part of what makes prayer effective. Otherwise, how much can you pray for one thing? Oh Lord, do this. Oh Lord, do do this. I mean, you can only do so much in prayer, but what if you began to discover the ins and outs, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of things from God's perspective? Because we want to see outcomes before we take really costly steps, we sacrifice immediacy at the altar of careful unbelief because we want to see outcomes before we take really costly steps we sacrifice immediacy at the altar of careful unbelief what i'm trying to say is this when you have heard god say things sometimes through a prophetic word which in your heart you know has resonance but in real physical life It will cost you too much. It may cost you a brand new job. It may cost you your education. It may cost you money. And so we sacrifice immediacy at the altar of careful unbelief. As in, uh, I need to think about this. I need to pray about it. Man, some things aren't meant to be prayed about. They just have to be done. Questions, disagreements. I'm really provoking you saying disagreements multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, it's very clear, but it's uh, usually when things come with great, great clarity, there's usually a cost attached to it too. And the glory of, thank you, Proverbs 25.2. So when you start praying like this, figuring out what God wants to do uh, in your situation, in a city, in a nation... Uh, one of the things that happens is you will then begin uh, to enter into a confrontation with enemy enemy powers, princes and principalities. It will be either pharaohs, magicians, or Herod's soldiers, or the priests of Artemis in Ephesus, or the 800 prophets of Asherah and Baal. Uh, the powers of darkness suddenly begin to... Uh, when, when, when the devil finds out that, oh, shucks, Acts 29... Did something that God showed them for Vancouver or for Myanmar or for Indonesia then he begins to rally his troops saying now we need to confront them because he raises at the fact that he was confounded and now he wants to confront which then requires Acts 29 to become a church that knows how to deal with principalities, princes, chiefs, powers, uh, spiritual rulers of depravity and guess what we don't know how to do that. So when I was preparing this, I was thinking to myself, what's the point of preaching it? Because we've got to start somewhere. Say that again. Explain. We don't know how to. When as a church have we confronted powers, principalities, chiefs, rulers of the world? When, when have we done that as a church? I think we haven't even started. I think as individuals we probably do when we are put in an encounter, but I don't think we've even started as a church. I don't think so. I I, I think what God is calling us to do is something to do as a people. I, I mean, to begin with, it's hard to turn up for prayer, man. Prayer itself is such a hard thing to turn up for. This is true. I don't know, but uh, because it's one of the most effective tools of battle, to come for prayer is a very difficult thing. Once you're here, you can get caught up in it, but to get here is a pain. And then to learn how to pray. To learn how to pray. It's so difficult, it's not easy to learn how to pray. We, I mean, come on, guys! Time for uh, truth-telling. When we meet for prayer, how effective do you think it is in terms of swordsmanship? We got to learn how to use the word, because it's the only thing that cuts both ways. And then there is this other thing. Guys, here's the thing, and I'm skipping ahead. It says that um, lift up the ancient doors so that the king of glory may come in. And we love that verse. I love that verse. Lift up ye ancient doors, open up your gates. But see, if you want to engage in war, the first thing you have to engage in is holiness. Because the first part of Psalm 24 says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a clean heart, if there is darkness in me, it doesn't matter how often I stand before an ancient door and say, lift up, lift up, it might lift up and fall right on me. It's like one of those cartoons where, uh, what's that fellow that runs around and gets knocked always? Road runner, yeah. I mean, the, the ancient gates fall on you. agreed but a call to holiness precedes a call to war and so before i can deal with things that are dark i have to make sure that i can at least stand in the shadow of that scripture jesus quoted when he said the prince of darkness has come and he has nothing in me this is critical Even sin I can understand, because there's nobody who hasn't sinned today, um, I think. But, but, but when it's a habit that I cultivate, where there are pockets of rot or pockets of darkness in my life that I hide, that I keep, then it becomes difficult to handle these things that we are talking about. It becomes difficult, which then means that we need to be circumcised, which then means that we need to apply the flint knife of the word to our hearts which then means that you would have to open your heart because you can't circumcise yourself. Someone has to help circumcise you. Aha, did you know that? You can't circumcise yourself. If you think that you can circumcise yourself, you are wrong. Someone else has to help circumcise you. Sure, you have to be a participant in it, but someone else circumcises you. You have to allow the flint knife used by someone else at Gilgal to roll away your reproach. And that is where today's Christianity fails us miserably because my sin is my business and it ain't yours. Wrong. Your sin is my business. It means uh, saying, uh, hey Jacob, yeah, Um, causing reproach and shame to be left undone, not by anybody else but the Holy Spirit, but through me opening myself to you helping me do it. If you understood Diana, then that's tremendous. Yeah, I'm saying that Diana may have fought um, um, things that she needs to fight within her own life. Ook may have fought it. I may have fought it. But as a church, we don't. We don't. And therefore, it's not the body that is dealing with things. It's individuals dealing with their own individual stuff. Not as a church. And so... Uh, This kind of prayer is impossible uh, to do as individuals. It it just doesn't work. Because God is not looking for Elijah's anymore. He's not looking for Elijah's. He's looking for Elijah types, an entire church that behaves like Elijah. John the Baptist types, an entire church that looks like John the Baptist, preparing the way of the Lord. Yeah. Plus, the other thing is, guys, let's ask another question. Uh, don't, don't respond to it. It's a rhetorical question. How many of us really have dealt with uh, spirits and demons? Not many of us. Partly because either we, don't f- ha- we haven't had an encounter yet, and sometimes it's because God has kept us safe. Sometimes it's because we haven't gone looking for it. There are times when you go looking for it. I'm not saying go looking for it. Uh, 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 Let me remove that phrase. Uh, We haven't been invited into an encounter or when the encounter was there, we did not take the action required. I've done both. I've seen things that I knew I had to deal with but decided this ain't the right time and I'm not ready for it and I've walked away. But really, when you ask it, ask the question, uh, that's another question we need to ask. How many of us have really dealt with demons and spirits? And if we haven't dealt with demons and spirits, how are we going to deal with princes, principalities, chiefs, rulers, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places? Sorry? We are not to yeah, but You're not supposed to answer. Yeah, are not supposed to answer. Because some of us have. Some of us have. And some of us haven't. And you can't fight Goliath till you fight the bear and the lion. I don't even know how to make this happen, guys. Because, because you can't force it. But you can prepare a people so that God knows that a people are prepared. So now I can send them to do what I'm supposed to send them to do. Why did God take Israel through a roundabout route to the promised land? I'm not talking about the 40 years. I'm talking before that. He says, I won't take you to face these mighty kings and nations because you're a slave people. You will not be able to battle them as soldiers. So I'll take you through a circuitous route that will bring you to the promised land. It's the same thing that God has to do with us for a while sometimes because we aren't ready. And may I suggest that one of the reasons we are not ready is because the pastor does not know how to help you get ready, and that's the minor reason, because the pastor is really good in other things. Uh, and then uh, the other reason is we are self obsessed me, myself, and Irene. Thank God there is no Irene in this church. It is very inconvenient, frightening, costly, um, not fun. But once it happens, you will begin to rejoice, just like the 70, saying, Jesus, Jesus, guess what happened? I went and cast out this demon, and the demon came out. And Jesus will say, I'm really happy that you're happy, but also remember that you've got to be happier because I saved you. No, not again. (laughs) Go ahead, Dana. Yes. No, it's a good question. Uh, once I deal with things on an individual basis, I kind of have an idea of what it might look like when I join with others to deal with it on a corporate basis. What I deal with today might be Jeevan. I can take Jeevan, smaller guy than me. But what if I had to meet Mike in a dark alley So, But having taken Jeevan, now I know that at least I, c- I can deal with Mike. But had I not taken Jeevan, I would not know how to deal with Mike. So I do believe that dealing with things on an individual level helps me prepare for things on a corporate level. Uh, guys, here's the thing. Eh? Most churches would be happy if you have five people who can do this thing called deliverance ministry, which itself is a misnomer. But what if an entire church knew how to deal with this? It'll be amazing, amazing. I Sometimes I'm embarrassed and sometimes not that we seem to affect nations across the water but nothing here. And sometimes it's because God doesn't call you to things here, calls you to things there. But there is another principle, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. And in Jerusalem, nothing much is happening. And when it does happen in Samaria and the ends of the earth, it's usually happening through one person. This person obeys immediately uh, at, at ridiculous costs. But it's still through one person. So we've got to learn to do this as a church. Otherwise, I'm failing as a pastor and we're failing as a church. Not really. Not really, because not all of us can go. Not all of us can go. I mean, how does Blessie leave her four kids with Dano and go? I mean, he wouldn't know where the dog is and where the kids are. So, sometimes it's not possible. But it is possible to get up and say, Father, these are the things you wanted us as disciples to do. Now, oh God, prepare me for this. Train my hands for war. Pour me out for the sake of others. Bring me into encounters where I have to deal with these things. Use my life. Set it ablaze. Let it burn, oh God. Let it burn. Let it happen here, Father. And once it happens here, let it progress. Guys, I'm telling you something. Hear me very, very clearly. And I guarantee you this. If you have a desire... To serve God this way and pour out your life, God will bring people into your life and create opportunities for it. The reason it is not happening is two things in my life. Whenever it hasn't happened, it's for two reasons. Three reasons. One, an unwillingness. Two, an unwillingness to submit. Three, an unwillingness to obey. And four, let me throw in a fourth one. Four, a lack of purity. These are the four reasons that have always stopped things from happening in my life. Let me repeat them again. An unwillingness of desire, meaning that the desire is there, but it ain't ain't the primary desire. It ain't the primary desire. It is not the all-consuming thing. Hey, when you see Jesus, he will be so all-consuming. And when Jesus becomes all-consuming on earth, everything aligns. Trust me on this. You have problems. You have problems with your children. You've got problems with situations. Everything aligns when the all-consuming person of Christ becomes central. Everything aligns. Imagine the planets and the stars and the systems that are held together by one thing. His word. Hebrews chapter 1 says, He is a brilliant radiance. The visible radiance of God. And he sustains everything by his word. You think that if you have him at the center, he cannot bring things into order? Thank you. You think he can't? Man, you put him at the center. And hold him at the center. The hardest thing for us humans to do is hold Jesus at the center. Because it seems like there's this gravitational pull that always diverts him to the side. Bring him back to the center. It isn't, it isn't he running away. It's you moving away. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is, oh God, I've got to bring you back. I've got to bring you back at the center. I've got to bring you back at the center because I'm attracted by this. I'm attracted by this. I'm bring you back to the center. And when you begin to do that, everything else aligns. Desire, first one. Second one is um, the willingness to learn from others. The willingness to learn from others, oh my God, it's a humbling process. The willingness to learn from others, it is a humbling process. I'd sit in the back of cars, I'd go to pick up people, why do I give examples from my life? Because it's the only life I know well. That's why. And if it begins to look sometimes like I'm blowing my own trumpet, I'm not. Just want to make that clear. I would sit in the back of cars to go pick up people from the airport, men and women of God. I'd sit in the back of cars just to hear their conversation. I'd ask the pastor, can I come? Can I come? I want to come and pick them up. And I would sit in the back of the car just to listen to them converse. And I'd think to myself, my God, how do these guys talk like this? How do they know God so well? How do they know stuff like this? Would be fascinating. They wouldn't even, I mean, I was fat then too. But I'd be like a fly on the wall. Nobody would even notice me. This is when you say, no, you're not fat. (laughs) Thank you. Now that he finished lying, I want to... I'd be this little dot man in the car. Nobody would even notice me. Send you back to your sound room. Sorry, go ahead, Matt. Welcome back, Matt. No probation at all. Guys, uh, why this long-drawn story of sitting in the back of the car? It's simply this. um, There's no way to learn other than to be um, humble to the point where you are insignificant and yet you're learning. Second thing. Third thing, um, uh, you have desire and you have the humility to learn. The third thing is, and please, when you learn, learn from people who can teach and who've run this path before and who are at least two miles ahead of you. Don't learn from someone who's two steps ahead of you because you'll catch up. Learn from someone who's two miles ahead of you so that they can turn and rebuke you, admonish you, encourage you, lift you up, build you up, wag their finger at you. You think Mary didn't wag her finger at Jesus saying, Jesus, no, don't touch that. Amazing, huh, how ordinary he was? Third, third thing, now that you have desire and humility, would you now be able to say, Oh God, this at any cost, at any cost. I got a business at any cost. I got children at any cost. I got a work to do, any cost, at any cost, oh God. I want to be what you want me to be, and that is to be like your son Christ at any cost. Everything else will begin to become secondary. Everything else becomes secondary at any cost. I love what Peter and John and James do. They're blooming, mending their nets. They've just finished fishing. They're supposed to be helping their dad and it's the right thing to do. And along comes this carpenter walking around the beach and he says, follow me. And what do they do? No cost-benefit analysis, no thinking They drop their nets and they follow this man who they do not know well. They've heard about him, but they don't know him. But they know inside that there is something in the strength of what he's saying when he says, follow me. He doesn't even say, follow me and I'll make you something. He just says, follow me. And then the fourth one is purity. Where it is impossible to deal with Darkness, if there is darkness in me. I'm not saying that you will be sinless. Positionally, yes, you're as perfect as Christ. But you and I make mistakes. But it is when I allow darkness in me to continue to stay, to, 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 to hatch like those two <coughs> pigeons in my balcony. You get these four things right and you now enter a different realm. And the question we need to ask is, why aren't we there? Each one of us has to ask that, eh? why aren't we there? If it is experience, then you're in a good place then all it means is tomorrow you'll get more experience. Day after you'll get more experience. But if it is any of these other four reasons, correct them. I've got to end. I haven't even begun. Yeah, Balaam was very smart he knew Israel had the ability to knock Balak out of the ground he knew Mm -hmm. Israel had the ability to bring to naught everything that Balak was trying and so he couldn't curse Israel but look at what he does eh? he introduces sin and so he sends Midianite women to seduce the Israelites so that They sin with these women and begin to worship their gods. And the very curse that was absolutely ineffective now becomes absolutely effective. Because no longer could Israel deal with Balak, even though the shout of the king was in their midst. They could not deal with Balak because Satan has the ability to take pockets of darkness and pockets of rot and mix it with light so that... Light is no longer as effective as it can be. And therefore, Jesus turns to the church at Pergamum in uh, Revelation 2, verses 12 to 16, and he says, beware of the guys who practice the same thing as Balaam did. Because the very sword that you are supposed to use against the enemy will now be used against you to cleanse you. That's the other thing, guys. If we start down this pathway then holiness is required. And when holiness isn't um, ascribed to him who is the commander of the armies of Israel, then he uses that very sword to cleanse us from the things that need to be cleansed. So I'm not going into this in any kind of hurry. What a scary thing it is. What a scary responsibility it is. For you to come up to me and say, hey Jacob, don't you think these areas need to be corrected? And for me to take it from you, even though I'm the pastor? For me to come to you and say, hey, what about this area? When are you going to change in this area? You've been this way for the last five years. Aren't you going to change? This is called using the flint knife of circumcision. It's going to be difficult, man. Now everybody wants to go on an RV trip. Three months of an RV trip. How big is your thingy? All right, so at least five people. You can take Dawn anytime you want. (laughs) I got to stop, it's 4.20. Thanks for listening, guys. There's so much more. Um, We got to... It's all Karen's fault. She took too long. (laughs) Father.